You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins. As always, I'm your host. And this week we're talking more on the tax side. This morning we're going to talk about capital gains. We're going to explain exactly what it is, how it affects us and when we can get pinged on it when we don't even think we should be paying it. To help us have a chat about it today, we've got our specialist in again, Carlo Bordy from Bordy and Associates in Balcatta. Carlo, thanks for popping in this morning. Trent, thank you. Mate, help us out here. Give us a definition of what a capital gain is, capital gains tax people talk about. Can you explain it for us? Oh, certainly. Capital gains is simply a taxable item which is generated from the sale of an investment. Now, an investment, though, has a lot of definitions. Look, it could be from the sale of, of shares, the sale of land, which is vacant land, uh, overseas assets. Uh, currently, bitcoins are the, are the flavor of the month where people are trading in bitcoins and making gains and or losses, so they're also subject to capital gains. Yep. Uh, holiday homes, personal use assets, like, I know, you, you buy a caravan or a boat, and if that asset's over $10,000 and you sell it and you make a gain, it's taxable. Also, collectibles are also taxable, like your wife's engagement ring. If it's worth more than 500 bucks as a collectible and you sell it for more than that value, that's a capital gain. Yeah, well. Yeah, I know. I, so, don't, know, I don't think many people will be reporting that one. but Well, you know, it depends how well you separate. If you <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the thing. Capital gains, a lot of people, they just attribute it to buying and selling investment properties. But actually, it's any real asset that we've got that... We we make money on, we should be paying uh, tax on a portion of that income. Yeah, the government puts its hand out, most certainly. Let's focus on property. Let's go through a scenario maybe where you bought an investment property because you're not paying capital gains on your home, are you? Your residential property is the only tax-free asset you're going to have as long as you've never used it to run a business from or yep. as long as you've never previously rented it. So if you've had it as a rental at any point in time, either initially when you buy it or subsequently you move into it, there will be a capital gains implication a on that. A period of time where there'd be some capital gains on it. There's basically two legislations. One that says if you buy a rental property and you rent it and then you move into it later on, there's simply a pro rata. The amount of years you've owned a property compared to the number of years that you have rented it. Compared yep. to if you've owned your own house and you decide to turn it into a rental, then the commissioner says, right, what's the market value as of the date that you have made it available for rent? Mm. And that market value, whatever increases in value after that date, would then represent a capital That's gain. That's the reference point. Okay. Yeah, most definitely. So there's two different treatments there. Okay, so we'll stick to investment properties. So let's say we've bought an investment property in the past for $400,000, and then we go and sell it today for $500,000. How would, on a really easy explanation, how would that be treated in terms of how we'd be taxed on that capital gain? Okay, some people think there's a capital gains tax. doesn't exist. Basically, in everyone's tax return, there's a box. It relates to you making a capital gain, just like when you're in interest or when you have a wages. They just go in different boxes. Mm. Now, if you've had that property for more than 12 months, well, then the consequence of that is that you then should be entitled to a 50% discount. So in other words, with your example, if you're making $100,000 profit mm. on the sale of that asset, you then disclose only 50000 of that. That gets added to your other income, mm -hmm. and then what everything gets added up to, whatever tax bracket you're in, you pay tax. You just on pay that tax bracket. on that. So on if, that bracket. Yep. If you Correct. make hundred thousand dollar capital gains and you've owed it for more than twelve months, you only put fifty thousand dollars towards your income. And if let's say your income is seventy thousand dollars, your income then turns into on that year, all else being equal, one hundred twenty thousand dollars. You pay tax on that. 
Correct. That's and the, it. And you're just skipping a couple of different tax brackets there, but basically, yes, whatever the tax is on that total amount, yep. that's what you pay. Yeah, great. Okay. That, I think that really helps to explain it. A lot of people, I think, that if they're going to be making $100,000, they're going to be paying $50,000 tax or something like that. It, it's, it's not the case. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Let's then talk about that next point, depreciation. A lot of people love their depreciation reports, but a lot of people don't actually realize that depreciation does affect their capital gains implication. Especially in this current market where properties haven't really increased in value very much and some have actually gone down. If I give you a very easy example, if a person was to buy a property, say 10 years ago for $400,000 mm. and they sell it today for $400,000, the taxpayer would normally say, I pay nothing out of this. I don't pay any tax. No. Well, that's not so correct. Because if that property was entitled to claim depreciation and special building write-off, now depreciation applies to carpets, curtains, light fittings, that sort of stuff, while um, a special building write-off relates to the actual building, the bricks, the mortar, and stuff like that. Mm. Now, those deductions could be like you know, 10 grand a year. Yeah. So if you've claimed a deduction for those items, the consequence is that whatever you've claimed, you've got to then reduce your original cost base by that amount. Yeah, so let's say you claim $30,000, now your cost base is three seventy. Does that mean you have to pay capital gains on that $30,000? It then means that you made a $30,000 gain, If assuming, and obviously in this example, you've had it more than 12 months, so you'd have to then declare $15,000 in your tax return as a taxable gain, yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And that can really hurt people who are already making that tough decision to probably lose money given they're going to be paying seller's agents and whatnot anyway, or maybe they already paid stamp duty. And then they're thinking, well, at least maybe I'm going to get out of this even or I'll only pay this much. And then the tax office is coming for them to, to pay tax on 15 grand too. Oh, look, sometimes it's an extremely unexpected scenario. And that's in most cases, people aren't aware of that. Yeah. What about non-residents? Now, these guys are starting to get treated a bit differently in a lot of a lot of ways on the tax side of things. I'm hearing that they don't get the discount anymore. Well, look, basically, since 2012, I think it was May 2012, legislation virtually changed whereby if you are a non-resident, then you're not entitled to the full discount. And a lot of people think, oh, that's not going to affect me. But there are a lot of instances where people now are thinking, oh, look, my, my parents live in New Zealand. I would like to go back and stay with them and, and live there. And they become non-residents and they might still have a rental property here in Australia. Well, that property then, upon selling it, would not be entitled to the full 50% discount under these new legislations. Is that 50%, is that going to st stick around? Do you think that with all the all that's going on in Parliament at the moment, can we, can we hang a hat on that? Is it going to be grandfathered? What's going on there? I'd love to have a crystal ball here, but mm. uh, look, the government has raised this issue on many occasions. They've even recently, two years ago, tried to bring in legislation whereby the discount may be reduced down to 25%. It hasn't gone through. Unfortunately, watch this space. No one knows. Yeah, okay. The other thing which is confronting with people is, is stuff like holiday homes. There may be people out there that have got a holiday home. They simply don't rent it out, which is fine, and they use it themselves. The consequence of the selling that property one day is that there is going to be a capital gain associated with that property. Mm. However, there's been a change in legislation recently whereby what it says is that if you sell your own house that you lived in and then move into that house yep. and then you actually die in that house, yep. as in you pass away while residing there, then your beneficiaries can deem that to be your residential and can get out of any capital gains tax. That could be a lot. Which is, well, it could be, but I mean, look, that's not what I'd call tax planning. But no. if, if those circumstances arise, you've finally got a benefit out of the tax legislation. But more importantly, with holiday homes, a lot of people aren't aware that if they sell them and make a capital gain, they're actually entitled to deductions in relation to potentially interest, council rates, water rates, land tax associated with that property, yep. and that can reduce your capital gain respectively. And yeah. what about if we're doing a small development? What if we're doing a house behind a house or whatnot and make a capital gain? 
Are there cost items there that we can attribute to the cost base of that? And look, the, the most important thing to clarify here is that when you build this house, it's for rental. Mm. So if you're building a house to rent, yeah, fantastic. You have to attribute some of the costs. Like, for example, there'll be some costs that only relate to the property you're, you're building. And there'll be some costs that relate to Common partially. Property. Yeah, like you build a dividing fence between the two houses. Well, that's 50-50. You put an electricity dome for the new property. That's 100% for that property mm. and so on. So you've got to look at those costs and what, what's happened there and, and what exactly they relate to. But that really could help you if you're looking at making a $100,000 headline profit there's a lot there in the, in the cost base of doing a development that could really bring that capital gain on, on the books down. As you said, what you're doing is with the unit entitlement of maybe if you're doing a house behind a house, the front house and the back house, a lot of that cost base goes across either of them. And I've found that when you're selling that, maybe you're selling that back land or that back house, you can push a lot of that loss to when you're selling the, the, the front house in 10 years' time. Well, it's not so much push the cost, as a matter of correctly attributing which cost relates to which property. Mm. And, and and look, the easy example is if you're doing a, whether you're building a house or you're subdividing a block which you've lived on, you've got to then identify exactly what the cost is. And the trick is to maximize on that, to record it correctly, yeah. I suppose. You can't play with it. It's a matter of that's what it is, but make sure you, you cater for it correctly. Exactly. But uh, if you're going to spend $50,000 subdividing that, not all of that is going to go to that first sale or whatnot. A lot of it will be split off against both properties. Oh, m- most definitely. And you have to identify which property it does relate to, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Capital gains being, you know, a, a lot of people say, look, I can't sell my property because my capital gains is, is going to be too high. I can't afford it. Uh, unfortunately, in this current market, and especially with the banks now putting pressure on people to change their loans from interest only to principal interest, mm. there are a lot of people out there who are faced with the reality that I can't afford to have this anymore. Mm. The only advice I can give in that scenario is, is there is another bit of legislation that says, if you sell a property and you make a loss on that property, and you can't extinguish your liability or your debt with the bank and you have to carry that debt forward, that interest is still tax deductible to you moving forward. As long as you don't play with that loan, as long as you don't restructure it and change it, if you've got that loan in place, you can refinance it, but you can't merge with other loans. And that is still deductible. I know it's a small concession, but at least it is a concession. Carlo, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for chatting Capital Gains. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me in. Ben Kevers from Ray White North Keys has just stepped into the room and he's the number one agent in Sorrento. Ben, thanks for popping in. Trent, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Ben, my uncle lives in Sorrento. I love the area. It's obviously close to the sea. It's got some really established properties, old and new. Uh, and I'd like to talk today about some of the history. And as always, we'll talk about some development options and the types of people that are looking to buy from you at the moment. Let's start off with the history. It, it was the Alchemos of the 50s and 60s, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. I think you come across a lot of people along your travels and say that they never would have gone to Sorrento. You know, it was off a beaten track and miles away from anywhere. So yep. it was that. And if you look at Sorrento, the development's been broken up into different phases over the years. And that sort of spanned anywhere from the 1950s. There's a small pocket actually now that's being sold off, the very last you could almost say. Where's that? Is that close uh, to the beach? That's or? close to the corner of basically down, right down the bottom corner on the opposite side of Hepburn Avenue from Hillary's. There's a small lot division that's been sold and not much left actually at the moment. But the bulk of the last development was really sort of, you know, mid to late 90s. And obviously with those eras of development, there's a real mix of housing options. You would have had young families back in the day, wouldn't you? And now well, I guess the empty nesters? Yeah, it's it's funny, Trent. You know, now, you, now I'm speaking to people and, and selling a lot of family homes that they built the home in the 70s and the 80s. Kids have grown up now, there's grandkids. You know, it's just got to the point where the block's too big, the house is a bit too big. Um, it's aging as well? 
it, could it, do with a Renault. Absolutely. I suppose that sort of dovetails into the opportunity for our, our younger families coming in and buying these old family homes and adding value to them. But what we're seeing now is with it being such a great suburb, again, I live there myself. I'm a little bit biased, but if you speak to the locals as well, they love living there. They don't want to move out of the area. And we're now starting to see a little bit more development that allows empty nesters to be able to stay in the area. and Providing have that optionality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, providing a new product for a fraction of the size. I've always seen Sorrento as a bit of a stronghold for families, but also more of an upper class suburb in the area. You've got some good price points. For me, they're all still strong double brick homes, aren't they? There's not a lot of fibro in the area. I would say there's zero to not even a handful of any fibro left. There's a sprinkle of homes that were built in the 60s, but the bulk of them have either been, in most cases, have been bowled over and, and, and rebuilt. So there, there's that at a less, you know, a lower level. I'd say the bulk of the housing has been constructed in the 70s and 80s, and now they're providing great opportunity for people to renovate them. Um, and certainly, if they've got the horsepower and the money behind them, they can, you know, bowl over and start again and, and build a pretty nice home. Yeah, and I think this is a really good time to be moving in Sorrento because Sorrento is moving essentially. We're in early 2019 right now, and as we've spoken on in this podcast before. It's at that frontier of upsizing, uh, people starting to move up in, in the world as well, in that 650 to $1 million range where you can really access a lot of Sorrento's properties. Yeah, absolutely. Look, what we're finding at the moment, and certainly over the last six to 12 months especially, is that the younger families are upgrading into the area and setting up roots, or ideally setting up roots for the next 10, 15, 20 years for their families to grow into. A lot of that's driven around the schooling around the area. You've got Sacred Heart College, which is probably arguably the best Catholic school in, in Perth. A lot of families are, are attracted to the suburb with their kids obviously getting enrolled in that school some great state schools as well but all in all it's just a it's got a it's always had a good family a family feel and vibe and it generally attracts the younger families and what we're seeing a lot of the buyers these days have either grown up in the area previously and they're gravitating back towards where they grew up and if they can afford to move there we're seeing them back in the areas that they're familiar with you were telling me recently that this has been your strongest financial year yet so as number one agent of Sorrento you'll see it clearly things are moving clearly things are moving and I think the the biggest you know the biggest telltale apart from the facts and the data etc which sort of tells it how it is you know seeing people that have been out there weekend after weekend for the last 12 to 18 months sometimes longer disappearing buying properties office as well you can they understand that the market probably has bottomed out we're on the slow road to recovery and that with money still quite cheap from the banks there's not a better time to actually upgrade and buy into the area so let's talk about buying in the area. Let's talk about some specifics. Let's talk about price points. We've got some smaller units that are older from, from the original subdivision of Sorrento all the way up to multi-million dollar mansions in Sorrento with older blocks and subdivided blocks in between. Can we run through from cheapest to most expensive the type of property you could buy in Sorrento right now? Yeah, so again... Quickly on that, there is some serviced accommodation and there's also a retirement village at the very lower end. So that'll get you in in the twos to three hundreds. That That is what it is. Then from there, you'll jump up to your duplex properties and they historically can sell anywhere between sort of fives to six hundreds. There isn't a lot of those options, by the way. And then really where the bulk of the uh, the activity is, is in your entry level into the suburb for on a 700-odd square metre block, three-bedroom, four-bedroom, single-level family home in the sevens and the eights, and call it sub-one mil. That's where all the, the bulk of the interest is in the activity. And then obviously above that, above a million dollars, there's an array of bigger family homes, some older, um, depending on their location as well, they can still fetch a fair price, all the way through to your, you know, your brand new 
high spec architect design home project but there's a real mix um and that can take you anywhere from over a mil all the all the way up to two three million dollars depending on its quality yeah so you're really not over capitalizing in sorrento if you want to build a good quality product oh being a coastal suburb and historically the prices have held pretty well comparably and if you're planning on staying there for some time no absolutely not so we just touched on a little bit of knockdown a little bit of development and uh, let's get a bit more specific on that. Sorrento, from my understanding, isn't historically a development area. You have to be very specific and the city of Joondalup has been very strategic as to where they've allowed a bit of rezoning to provide for subdivision. Can you give us a bit more information on if you can subdivide in Sorrento, where is it, what are people doing right now uh, and what sort of zoning we're talking about? Typically, it is R20 zoning. So uh, that being that to, to divide any block, it must be over 900 square metres, uh, give or take. Uh, but in the last couple of years, we have, it, we have about four or five streets that have rear lane access. They're all just over 700 square metres and the city of Joondalup has passed zoning to be R20 slash R25, meaning that those blocks can be subdivided into two with access from the main road and obviously off the rear. So that... We've seen a bit of activity and, and, and some owners obviously taking advantage of that. A bit of double view style development? Correct, yeah. Yep. Yeah, bit of double view Scarborough type development there. You know, not all of it's going to happen, but we're starting to see people at the right price buy these as a development opportunity as well. Well, some of the houses are still really nice there, so it doesn't yeah. make sense. No. But then there are also some fairly old coastal homes, pretty small, sitting strategically at the front where you could keep it and subdivide the back or you may, may as well just knock it down and build two really nice townhouse sort of yeah, properties. Co- correct, Trent. And and again, you know, for for development purposes, if the numbers work, we're seeing that happen at the moment. Um, I've sold a couple in the last twelve months that younger people have bought them to to do their first development. And then you're also, on the other hand, you're getting your owners that have maybe owned the properties for quite some time cash in and take advantage of slicing off the front or the mm. back. And, and well, that provides optionality for the younger guys to come in and buy off him that piece of land. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe even the downsizers next door. Yeah, and and again, what I touched on before as well, this development gives owners that want to exit the big family home on the big block, it allows them to stay in the area and they're all after something nice and new. Mm. It allows them to be able to build something that that suits their needs. What about corner lots? You said we're at R20 with 700 square metres being an average in the area. Are you seeing anyone taking advantage of that yet? Yeah, been a handful of those, obviously taking advantage of the corner lot with a dual frontage being able to subdivide. And I think, as you've probably seen in other suburbs as well, everyone's onto that. So they, they, they haven't come up a lot. And when they have, they've been snapped up pretty Very. quickly. But yeah. there's also some pretty big houses on there in the first place. You don't just do it for the sake of it. No, no, that's right. How about renos? Are we seeing a lot of renos going on? The properties you're selling, is it worth renovating or are people fairly happy with the type of property and, and the age of the property that's going in? With where the market has been, currently is, but slowly improving, Every you know, as a buyer, obviously everyone's acutely aware that they they don't want to overpay. Mm. Um, and when you're buying a home that's sometimes 20, 30 years old, you know it, it is going to require work. So I feel a lot of buyers, their expectation is that if it isn't renovated, it will have to be, and they're factoring in those costs in terms of a negotiation. So um, there's value to improve those properties. Again, subject to to obviously purchasing it at a fair price. Yeah, I think in the market we've seen, obviously buyers have choice. And if it's not ready to go in the same way that a new house is ready to go, they would move on. So in those softer times, I think dressing a home, renovating a home, always helpful. In those higher markets as well, though, dressing a home, for example, 
I, th- I would expect that it would always return quite a good value when there's opportunity to pay big money in Sorrento. I, I think it's logical. It's common sense. I think you only get one chance to do it properly. You need to create the best first impression. And if that means spending some money to style the home, furnish the home, paint the home, it needs to be done. And it can be the difference between mm. selling it for an average price or if you do it the right way, we've seen time and time again that it can mean the difference between twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, sometimes more, in the result for a ten thousand dollar investment. Correct, not even sometimes. So yeah, it's presentation in the current market, regardless of what type of home or price range, is is extremely important. Okay, Ben, we ask this question every week. It's the median house price question. First thing I want to ask you: How much is the median house price, and then what will you do with it if you had that in your pocket? Median house price in Sorrento, currently $895,000. Hasn't differed a lot over the last two or three years. It's floated between eight fifty and nine. If it was my money and I was buying at the moment, I'd be looking, obviously, to get as close to the beach as you possibly can. Typically, with that money, you're going to be getting a good size block anyway, but I think you want to try and find something that has good bones, a good design. And again, I just think it's about getting as much for your money as you possibly can. But a big block with a family home with good bones, I just don't think you can go wrong at the moment with investing in that. Ben, fantastic conversation. Thanks for the chat and we'll hopefully have you in for an update really soon. Great. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!